supply everything that we can imagine. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the 51st Psalm, Psalms 51. As much as I would love to read this entire psalm, as important as all of it is, I want to focus on just verse 12. David has already began by asking God for mercy, verse 1. He asked God to wash him in verse 2. He acknowledged his transgressions in verse number 3. And uh, down in verse number 12, he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. As I just said, I love to preach from this chapter, and especially verse number 12, and I, I preached from this verse on many occasions. I've used several different titles for different messages from the same verse. I've spoken about the road to recovery. I've spoken about a great comeback. I've spoken about David's desperation for deliverance and uh, his cry for cleansing. This is just one of the many examples we find in the Bible that gives us proof that failure doesn't have to be final. Every fall is not fatal. And it's helpful for us to realize that even the greatest men who ever lived failed in some way. And we think about David, for example, this morning and his defilement. It's hard to imagine a man who is described as a man after God's own heart that this same man who loved God so dearly actually was defiled by sin. We think about Elijah, the great prophet of God, and we think about the discouragement that overcame him. It's hard to imagine him curled up under a juniper tree, pouting and worried about, uh, about Jezebel trying to take his life when he had had the courage to stand up before all of the false prophets and to challenge the nation. But he was overcome momentarily by discouragement. I think about uh, Jeremiah, uh, one of my great heroes of the Old Testament, and yet I, I, it's hard to imagine him in a state of depression. And that's exactly what we find. He said, I'm not going to preach anymore. I, I'm not going to speak anymore of the Lord. He was ready to resign, ready to throw in the towel. And yet he was the great prophet that God used so mightily back in that day. We come to the New Testament, and I think about John Mark and his desertion. Uh, it's hard to imagine that, you know, here's a man under the ministry of Paul, and yet who that at that particular time deserted the Lord's work. I think about Peter and his denial, and the list goes on and on. And the truth is that we all fail. We all sometimes lose things that are of great value. David is praying for the restoration of his the joy of his salvation. And what I want you to see today is that there is healing for those that feel hopeless, that there's hope for those who feel helpless. Our God can restore 
the years that the locust has eaten, our God can bring back to life Lazarus. Our God resurrected the Lord Jesus, and that means he can supply our need. I try to make uh, my sermon titles meaningful instead of just something, you know, that is of a giddy nature, but... uh, and I almost never base them on current events or anything like that or the news headlines, but today's going to be an exception, and uh, this title just happens to fit the text, or I wouldn't use it, and the title of the message is Take It Back. Now, get all of that out of your mind, because I know what you're thinking. Take it back has been the cry all over Houston. It's been the theme for the Astros for 2019. And, of course, it's a, it's a reference to them, you know, trying to take back the World Series they won back in 17. Now, I know that's really important to some people, but let's be honest. We're talking about a game that's just, it's just a game they're playing out there. And there's not anything wrong with it. I mean, you, we can find enjoyment in it. That That's fine. I never in my life ever dreamed that uh, my wife would become a baseball fan. Uh, she's not a baseball fan. I take it back. She's an Astros fan. And, uh, boy, I, she's, I go to bed at 9 o'clock regardless, but she she watches the whole thing every time. And so... The point is, as much fun as that is, there's something so much more important. And at the top of the list are the spiritual things. And and a lot of times people will suffer, you know, a great loss of something in that area. And they need to take it back. You mark it down. Whatever you lose spiritually. Here, David has defiled himself with a horrible, terrible sin and, uh, and he's miserable as a result of it. And you mark it down, Satan, when he gets the advantage of us, remember the old saying that says, the spoils go to the victor? Well, that's what happens when Satan gets the advantage of someone. He takes away, robs them of something that is dear to their heart and needful in their life. And if we don't take it back, we won't get it back because he won't give it back. It's just that plain and simple. The devil's not going to give it back. We've got to take the initiative to get it back ourselves. Now, before we think about uh, the, all of the possibilities of the things that we might lose, I want you to think about the permanent nature of our relationship with God. Because contrary to what most people think, Christians cannot lose their salvation. We have eternal life. And as I've often said, if you have eternal life today and you lose it tomorrow, it wasn't eternal yesterday, was it? It it couldn't be. So we have eternal life. We have a permanent relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, as I was growing up, I did a lot of things that that I'm sure that brought shame to my daddy and my mother, but I never ceased being their child. I was born into their family. Well... Whenever I trusted Christ as my Savior, I was born into the family of God. I've not always been the sort of a child that God wanted me to be. I have failed Him at times, but I've never ceased being a child of God. So you cannot lose your salvation. 
Amen? Now, that being said, there are some things that you can lose. Think about the list that we might compose. Since we're here in Psalms 51, we'll just start with purity. We can lose our purity just as David did. And again, I say it's hard to imagine someone like him, the great hero that he was, doing something like that. And boy, when you really delve into the story you, you, and, and look at all of the parts to the story again, you scratch your head and think, how could he do that? Not only, you know, the sin with Bathsheba, then turn around and send that, that dedicated warrior husband of hers into battle and say, oh, everybody just fall back and let them kill the guy. I mean, how can you do something like that? But when we talk about this matter of purity, it involves a whole lot more than just sexual sins. You can lose your purity with sin of any sort. It doesn't make any difference what it is because we defile ourselves when we sin against God. It can happen to absolutely anyone. And that's what happened to David. He lost his purity. And when we sin against God, we do exactly the same thing. So we can lose our purity and we ought to take it back. We don't look, we don't have to live in that state, continue in that state of rebellion against God. And if you've never studied it, you need to go home and study at least read Psalms 32 and Psalms 38 because so many folks got the idea, well, you know, what I do is my business. Nobody has a right to tell me what to do. And I'm the only one that's going to get hurt, you know, and they figure the pain is worth the pleasure that they get out of it. But boy, when you read what David wrote in Psalms 32 and Psalms 38, where he talked about the effect that sin had on his life, that his bones waxed, oh, it affected him every imaginable way, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And look, that's what sin, sin of any kind, does to anyone. So if you have sinned against God, and you haven't made it right, you need to take it back this morning, regain your purity before the Lord. But you also lose something else. We can lose our peace. Because for the Christian, the loss of peace always follows the loss of purity. By that I mean that we cannot sin successfully. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, when you sin against God, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of that sin. Mark it down. You're not going to be able to sin and to really enjoy it. I know there's pleasure in sin, but but the Bible says that's but for a season. And if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit's going to see to it that you are convicted of that sin. That's why... I say the most miserable person on the face of the earth is the child of God that's out of the will of God. It's, it's, not, it's not the drunk. It's not the addict. I mean, I know they're miserable, absolutely. They inflict themselves with pain. But the most miserable person is somebody that has been born again and they are stubbornly 
rejecting God's will for their life and going down a path of destruction. And they know they've sinned against God. That's the way it was with David. He was absolutely miserable. And you see, sin always robs us of peace. And and all of the pleasures and treasures of this world can't make up for a loss of peace. If you had millions of dollars, if you had the ability to just go anywhere in the world and do anything you wanted to do. I mean, the world is there at your feet. All of that would be worthless if you couldn't put your head on the pillow at night and have peace in your heart. What a wonderful thing peace is. And if you've lost your peace, you're living in a state of turmoil as a result of some sin in your life. And here you are every day of life. Your life. Look, you've got a roof over your head, food on the table, shoes on your feet, clothes on your back, friends all around you. Every reason for you to enjoy life. And you're miserable. You're miserable. And you don't have to live that way. You, if you're a child of God, you can take it back. You can be restored to the way it was before. You can have that peace of God that passeth all understanding. And then there's something else we can lose, and that is our joy. That's what David is speaking about here in our text. He says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Notice he didn't say, Restore unto me thy salvation. He didn't need that. He was a child of God as much then as he was at any other time in his life. But he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. One of the worst things that you can lose is your joy. And Nehemiah 8.10 explains why. Because it says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, if look, if you lose your joy, chances are you're going to lose something else if you don't get it back. And I say that because if the joy of the Lord is your strength and you're lacking that, then you're weak and unfit for battle. And mark it down, we're all in a spiritual warfare. And we're not fit for battle. We're not ready for the fight if we lose our joy. That is our strength. How are we going to resist temptation? How are we going to overcome discouragement? When we lose our joy, we're in dangerous territory. And the sad thing is so many people that have lost their joy act like, well, you know, it's not any really big deal. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I know as a Christian I ought to be joyful. And by the way, joy is not always a matter of grins and giggles. Some people have the idea that if somebody's always giggling and they they seem to be happy and they've got a good sense of humor, that means they've got joy. No, no, we all express our joy in different ways. But let me tell you, the real joy of the Lord is the thing that strengthens us and enables us to keep going when everything around us is telling us to quit. And David has lost his joy, the joy of the salvation that God provided. What about you? Have you lost your joy? Think about it. Look back to that moment in life where you first trusted Christ as your Savior. Did it make any difference in your attitude at all? Were you more joyful? Did you have a wonderful peace in your heart that you'd never experienced before? Let me tell you, 
the Christian life ought to get sweeter as the days go by, right? And the sad thing is a lot of us start going downhill, it seems like. A lot of people that at one time they were full of joy and all of a sudden, regardless of what happens, you can't get a holy grunt out of them. Somebody can come forward and be saved and they just sit there like a calf looking at a new gate like, oh well, shrug their shoulders and nothing seems to, nothing seems to make them happy. Nothing seems to cause any expression of joy in their heart. And I'm telling you, you need to take it back. If you've lost your joy, you're in dangerous territory. Take it back. Pray that God will restore that before you leave here today. But then we can lose something else. It's also possible that we can lose our zeal. Remember, Paul said in Romans chapter number 12, he says, not slothful in business, and that is whatever activity we're engaged in, which ought to be the work of the Lord. But he says, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Think about that. Fervent in spirit. That word means fervent means red hot boiling over. Are you? Is that is that the kind of zeal that you have for the things of the Lord? I wrote a morning man of the other day about uh, the church of the Laodiceans and their lukewarmness. And God said, look, I'd rather you be cold or, or hot, but but because you're lukewarm, he said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Why would God say I'd rather that you were cold? Because if somebody gets cold enough, they'll recognize their need and they'll do something about it. But when somebody's just lukewarm, it's kind of like, you know, everything's all right when it isn't. They don't, they don't see their need. And that was exactly the problem in that church. They said, we're rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. Can, can you imagine a church like that? And the Lord says, I will spew you out of my mouth. It's a serious thing when we lose our zeal for the things of the Lord. And yet, that's exactly what a lot of people have lost. Oh, there was a time. It might have been years ago, but there was a time when they were on fire for God. There was a time they, you know, they couldn't stand to stay away from the church. There was a time that they wanted to do something. They were actively involved in everything possible. And now, well... Now they're content to just sit in the bleachers and watch somebody else do do the work. But then there's something else we can lose, and that is our testimony. By that, I mean we can lose our influence. Do you have any idea how important your testimony is to your children, to your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends? Your testimony can mean everything because like the old saying, you are the only Bible some people will ever read. There are people that will sit in judgment of Christ based on what they see in you. Now, they shouldn't do that, but they will do that. They'll look at you, a professing Christian, and when they see your lack of purity, the lack of peace, your lack of joy, your lack of zeal, they see you no different from the world, they're going to conclude that Christ really doesn't make any difference in anyone's life. They figure they don't need something like that. And then there's the problem of losing our hope. 
I'm not talking about our hope of heaven. I'm talking about losing hope in the sense that we live in a troublesome world. We live daily facing different kinds of difficulties and we need hope. I'm talking about that future assurance of good, looking forward in faith, confidence and expectation because a lack of hope causes us to, you know, just kind of drag through life with an attitude of despair. And there are a lot of folks like that. They've lost their hope. They are fearful. They're depressed, always down in the dumps. The world is awful. Well, sure, the world is awful. It's always been awful ever since the fall of man. And it's not going to get any better. It's not going to be any different except get worse. If you're going to base your happiness on the condition of this world, you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to lose your hope. As a Christian, you ought to have every reason to hope, but you don't put your hope in the things of the world. It's the object of your hope that is important, and your hope ought to be in the Lord. So so what is it with you this morning? I mean, let's just be honest. I don't want you to try to examine me, or I don't want you to examine your spouse or your children or your parents. What about you? What is it that you have lost? Now, I know you can go on pretending like, well, I haven't lost anything. I'm good to go. Everything is A-OK with me. I don't have a problem. I'm just kicked back enjoying the service today. I don't have any problems. You know, you can kid yourself, but you can't deceive those that are around you for very long because they know. They know. And God certainly knows So what is it that you have lost this morning? What are you doing about it? If you're honest enough to admit it, yes, preacher, I've lost my purity. I did sin, not in a sexual way, but I have sinned against God. I've not made it right. I've lost my peace and my joy and my zeal. And uh, and now I've maybe ruined my testimony. What are you going to do about it? Let me give you some advice. Take it back. Don't settle for second best. You know, don't live out on the periphery of God's will. We ought to be right in the center of the will of God. Now, let me give you three warnings as I bring this to a close. You see, you can lose all of those things. And if you don't take it back, you'll never get it back. Believe me, if you've lost your joy, I cannot possibly preach a sermon good enough that will restore your joy you've got to get it back yourself but number one the first warning is you can't take it back without God's help notice what David said in verse number 10 he said create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me. Now that's just one of several verses where 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 David is crying out for God's help because David understood that as much as I want things to be different, as much as I want to be different, and I want things to change, he's admitting that God this is something you're going to have to do. So if you're going to take it back, you have to deal with it in God's way, which means in accordance to God's will that ought to give you hope because as a Christian, you don't have to live in defeat. 
you don't have to be deprived of all of the things that God wants you to have. If you're willing to surrender yourself without any reservation, to yield yourself unto the Lord and allow the Spirit of God to fill you and to control you, if you'll do that, God will forgive you of your sins. God will deliver you from your sins. God will empower you over your sins. God will restore what's missing in your life. And God will shower you with blessings that you would never experience otherwise. Some people, you know, they wonder to themselves, well, I just don't understand it. I'm a member of the same church as so-and-so is, and I'm there every time they are, and they, they seem to have it so, so good in life. God just blesses them. Well, it might be you've lost something you need to get back. And if you want to take it back, you're going to have to do exactly what David did. It starts with confessing. He said, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. In other words, I can't get away from it. I go to bed at night and it's there. And I get up in the morning and it's there. And let me tell you, there's nothing in all of the world that will rob you of your peace like a guilty conscience. Knowing that as a child of God, you're out of the will of God and you'll be miserable as a result of it. And so David acknowledged his sin. David asked for mercy. David committed his ways to the Lord. You can't take it back without God helping you get it back. The second warning, the second warning is this. Sometimes you can lose things you can't get back. In other words, you can do things that you can't undo. There are some things that cannot be restored. And although you've been forgiven, you'll have to still suffer the loss. You can lose your testimony to the point that with some people, at least, you'll never be able to get it back. I remember years ago, I became the pastor of a certain church that I won't name. And, and I'm telling you, within a week, within a week, we number one... We were moving into the parsonage and the former pastor's wife, God only knows what that woman (laughs) was doing there, but she showed up for some reason. And she showed up to tell us how big a liars these people were. And they're going to promise you everything and give you nothing. Just what my wife needed on the first day that we're moving into the parsonage. And she just dumped her whole load there. Well, it wasn't but a short time after that. I was out visiting somebody and inviting them to church. And they want to know, is that the church so-and-so was a member of? Well, yeah, I, you know, I don't know them very well. But yeah, they're a member there. Oh, I'll never go there. You see, you can ruin your testimony to the point that with some people you'll never be able to get it back. And that's why it's so very important that you don't lose it in the first place. Secondly, you can lose your health. You can lose your health. And sometimes that has permanent effects upon us. You know, why is it that so many times in our life, and I understand that good people have bad problems, You can have heart disease or cancer or any other disease and all of those problems and be in the perfect will of God. You can love God with all your heart, be the most spiritual-minded person in the congregation. All of that is true. But that does not give us the right to just exclude the possibility 
that whenever we get sick that there might be something that triggered that, some sin in our life. You say, well, preacher, do you, you really think God might make us sick because we sin? No, I don't think that. I know that. I know that's a fact. And that's why Paul tried to warn those there that, that were in the church at Corinth there. He says, for this cause, some of you, he said, are, are weak and sickly. Some of you sleep. You see, we can even lose our life as a result of sin. There is a sin unto death. And John was talking about Christians when he wrote that. There is a sin unto death. You can lose your life. And I've known people over the years that I'm convinced with all of my heart. I, I watched them make a profession of faith. I heard their testimony. I'm confident that they were had been born again. And yet, as I observed their life and watched what they did, and all of a sudden, during an act of rebellion against God, all of a sudden, at a young age, they died. Now, look, I'm not the judge. I don't know that that was the reason. But I'm saying it very well could have been they lost their life as a result of that. You can lose some things that you can't get back. But there's something else. Not only can you lose your life, you can lose your loved ones. Second Samuel in chapter 12. Nathan the prophet confronts David. David has just committed this horrible sin. And he, as you know, he gives him a parable to make him think. And then he takes his bony finger and points it in David's face and says, David, thou art the man. David, you're guilty. He says another makes another statement that is a wonderful statement. He's told him, he said, God's going to forgive you of that. But then he drops the bombshell. But the child will die. The child is going to die. We can lose our loved ones over an act of rebellion in our life. Don't run the chance of losing something that might cause you to lose something that you can't get back. The third warning is this. Obviously, I've been speaking mainly to Christians this morning and warning them about the danger of losing things, whether it's peace or joy or whatever. Losing things that they need to take back. But if you're here today and you're not saved, don't you concern yourself with any of that instead of worrying about those things that I've mentioned you need to be concerned about the fact that you're lost that you're unsaved you see some folks want a solution to all of their problems but they're unconcerned about having a relationship with God and it doesn't work that way you see the remedy of your problem is redemption not reformation you don't need a new beginning. You need a new birth. 
And so many people go through life trying to fix this problem and that problem, never dealing with the real problem, which is their need of salvation. Oh, they don't want to be an alcoholic, but they don't want to really be a Christian. Oh, they don't want the wife to go through with a divorce, but they really don't care about being reconciled to God. You see, they want God to be kind of like Santa Claus. Bring them what they want and then leave them alone the rest of the year. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you look, it's, it's, I'm not trying to convince you of how much you need peace and joy and all of those other things. I'm not, it, it, you're hopeless as to ever having any of those things without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the good news is, you can have that relationship beginning right here, right now, this morning, by putting your trust in Christ. I hope you'll do that. why, Why would you not do that? Why would you walk out of here today without the assurance that you're a child of God? We just got through singing Amazing Grace. And oh, how wonderful God's grace is. There's not one person here, and I know there are folks who say, well, you Christians, you, you're, you know, you're, act like you're holier than thou, and you act like you're better than I am. No, no, that's not what we're saying. We're all dirty, rotten, defiled, filthy sinners. There's not one person here, even one little bit any better than you are. It's not a matter of somebody being better than somebody else. It's a matter of all of us, as the Bible says, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, that's everybody. But the good news is there's forgiveness for those sins, for those that will trust Christ as their Savior. Would you do that today? And if you're here and you've been saved and you've lost something of great value, why don't you come today just like David did before the Lord? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. God, give me that peace that passeth all understanding. Take it back this morning. Don't live another day without it when God has got it right there in His hand offering it to you if you'll just take it. Would you do that? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you this morning for all of the great examples of your mercy and your grace, for all of the great examples of people that fell and yet were forgiven, people who failed in life in some way, and yet through your grace they were restored to a life of usefulness. And how we thank you for the example of David And I just pray this morning that you might help each and every one of us to be honest about things that we might have lost. And Lord, that we'll not only recognize it, but that we'll deal with it. And for that person that's here today that's never received Christ as their Savior, I pray this might be the day that they'd sweep aside all of the excuses and step over every obstacle and turn a deaf ear to the devil. And say, I'm going to settle this once for all this morning. I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. Lord, bless us. We don't deserve it, but we ask for you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we lift